0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, Adam Cunningham, chief global strategist at entertainment marketing agency Allied Global Marketing, discusses the surge in popularity of streaming services under lockdown and the chances of success for new entrants like NBC Universal's Peacock and Quibi arriving amidst the pandemic. But first, Robin Hilton, partner at UK-based media law firm Sheridans, assesses the legal issues that need to be addressed before TV production and m and activity can resume and the industry can hope to emerge from the COVID-19 crisis. Here he is, talking to C21's Ed Waller.
1: Robin, what are the legal implications of the pandemic for producers, distributors, and broadcasters
2: and platforms working in the, in the TV industry today? The the general legal implications are just most people have contracts to supply programs or services to people, um, whether it's producers delivering to broadcasters or uh, distributors offering programs to platforms, and pretty much all of those which have been interrupted or delayed will have consequences. You know there'll be delays in delivering the programming on spec, on budget, on time. Uh, contracts, you know, typically will have some provision for that. But for the most part, because everyone's suffering from the same uh, uh, difficulties, uh, what's happening mostly is that there's not necessarily legal challenges, even though people may be late delivering or they may have budget overruns. What's generally happening is people are talking to one another because for the business to keep going, everybody continues to need uh, material. So the platforms need content. We see Netflix's subscription numbers have gone up. People want more and more content. Um, but generally, what we've seen is that productions that have already started have had to uh, close down because the second point, in addition to contracts, is that there's the law of the land. So the law of the land is saying you can't assemble to do a drama production or to go on location or to assemble a, a crew. That's meant that obviously everything's been uh, interrupted and delays, are course, in the delivery of programming. And of course, uh, people are looking at their contracts to see about causes of force majeure or suspension or termination. We've spent a lot of time dealing with those issues and trying to handle them fairly. And uh, again, if you're acting for a production company, you've got to deal with your cast, your crew, your technicians. And you've also got to deal with the commissioning broadcaster or platform or distributor. And uh, so far there's been, as you'd expect from this industry, a lot of resourcefulness and innovation, you know, that a packed and decked to the broadcasters. Are trying to come up with solutions. So, the legal implications generally are that contracts potentially are being broken because people can't deliver a program by a given deadline or they're going to have to go over budget because of the cost overruns. Um, at the moment, we've not seen uh, disputes that may follow, but at the, at the moment, most people are trying to resolve it amicably and uh, in open dialogue.
1: Are there any particular regional or international differences in the law of the land as regards those contracts?
2: Well uh yes, i mean we we specialize Sheridan specializes in 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 the laws of uh, the u k England and Wales, and um, generally uh, we see a lot of uh, contracts from from overseas from california, particularly in new york the There are some regional differences, but generally what's happening here is universal this is a, this is what's so you know this is what's unique about this set of circumstances. Everybody's in the same boat, and while some countries are trying to uh, talk about getting people back to work sooner or allowing assembly to start earlier. Uh, the, the, the the fact is that everyone is in pretty much the same boat. And uh, I know that, you know, there have been differences in relation to how force majeure, which is, you know, circumstances beyond one's control is interpreted in, in different countries. But so far, we've not seen massive differences between uh, different regions or or, or countries. You know, for the most part, people are handling this the same way. They've had to suspend production. People are clambering around trying to find uh, existing uh, productions that they can uh, accelerate or that they can uh, whiz through post-production and get to air sooner. And otherwise, uh, the, 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 the same problems are being felt across, across the land and across uh, the uh, world. What are the legal issues, Robin, that will need to be addressed for production to resume? Well, the legal issues, are, uh, to a large extent, you know, the practical issues, it's it's, it's money, and it's uh, how, how much money is going to be needed to resume production. There are often cost overruns from having to suspend productions or delay. Uh, the big issue, I think, really, which will need to be addressed is where the risk will lie for future shutdowns. So, you know, for example, if uh, production starts on a drama series uh, and um, it's then suspended in September or October because there's another outbreak of COVID, who's who's going to pay for that? And producers going to have to make very uh, careful budgeting decisions to try and establish a contingency as to what it might cost if they had to shut it down a second time. Next question, who will pay for that? Will that be the broadcaster or commissioner? Will the uh, producer be expected to, to share their burden? Typically, insurance would cover that. Unfortunately, insurers are now, as you'd expect, excluding COVID-19 as a as, as, a, as a reason for uh, claiming. Uh, and so, the, the big issue is is for producers to try and assess what it might cost them if there's a further uh, break, and who will bear that risk. And and the legal issues will flow really from from the practical issues of of, of who is going to assume that. Um, you know, you'd think the big you know the big studios and the, and the broadcasters and the platforms may be better better able to weather those um, those uh, vagaries. Uh, production companies, you know, famously work on pretty slim margins, and uh, I think that's a conversation that's going to continue, and I'm sure you'll be picking it up with other people you interview on this show. So, so you know, there will be issues to do with um, the law of the land. So, medical checks, um, how do you mitigate risk? You know, what will happen on a set, for example, do you still have, you know, meal times where everyone assembles to have their meals together? How many times a day will you need to take temperatures? Will you have to limit the number of people who are in one place? Uh, will you have to send people home in, in individual cars rather than in shared cars? All of that stuff will have an impact in terms of both the contracts that we have. Here. So, for example, you might have artists who have particular um uh, benefits in their in their package. You know they may get a trailer, they may get exclusive transport. Everybody's probably going to want something like that because nobody's going to want to be traveling in 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 large numbers. So I think the legal issues that will uh, primarily be in people's minds will be around insurance and finance, and everything else will flow from how best to mitigate the risk. I mean, the other thing I should say is that in in relation to finance, you know banks typically will fund productions. And um, they give a loan, and that's typically backed against the contract from, let's say, a broadcaster will pay you to deliver a program on the 1st of December. And uh, the problem is, if that's going to be late, banks want to know how you will deal with repaying that loan. Typically, insurance or interest reserves will cover that. The difficulty now is insurance isn't available, and the uh, delay may be open-ended. Um, so I think bank finance is one area where we'll need to, to be quite resourceful in coming up with solutions.
1: On the insurance issue what, what, what will the impact be on on um, insurance for productions? Is it going to be a case of you know being able to, to to assemble but the insurance not letting production start?
2: Well I think it's more a question of whether insurance will, will cover certain, um, certain circumstances and situations so let's say they will continue to cover somebody who's slipped and broken their leg because they've tripped over a, a cable. But what they may not be able to uh, to do is is to say, we will pay up if a uh, another uh, outbreak of COVID uh, arises. So let's say uh, there was another hiatus and everyone had to go home. The insurers would, in current circumstances, uh, they're excluding any further COVID outbreaks. So that would not be covered by insurance. So somebody would have to pay for the additional costs that arise. You know, that could be keeping the studio on uh, on on a sort of first reserve, uh keeping your cast and free in a holding pattern, extending the the other aspects of production because it's gonna it's gonna be delivered a couple of months later now that will all have additional cost. Producers and and production accountants are spending a lot of time working out what these what these costs would be and uh who will pay for them. I think insurance would probably Certainly in the short term, not cover that. I'm hoping that with uh, medical testing, antigen testing and developments before long, the insurers will get back into the market. It may be expensive, but they will get back in. You know, they've had this before. There was terrorism a few years ago, which which you know was excluded. And then people have found ways to work around that. So I'm sure that this industry, which is resilient and resourceful, will, will find a way around that. But in the short term, it's going to be challenging.
1: What about the, um, just to dwell on insurance just for a moment longer, getting talent to to studios, getting talent to go on location, is that going to be uh, uh, an issue as well? Because that's a whole new level of insurance pain, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was saying, you know, a lot of, certainly in the US, a lot of productions are going to stay local artists. We're used to seeing a lot of US and international artists certainly come to the UK and people people performing on, on uh, sets and locations worldwide. I think there'll probably be a lot more staying at home. There'll be uh, certainly in the US, I think a lot of actors, as, as we discovered in one production, uh, you know, they'll want to stay closer to home. And uh, generally uh, that will prove a little bit more challenging, especially if there are, uh, again, the law of the land, if there are travel restrictions in place, you, know, you can have whatever contracts you like, but if you simply cannot travel a, an artist from New York City to London, or from from you know the UK to Paris, then uh, that's that's going to be that is going to be challenging. and of course these are all humans you know you know the first thing that happened when when this struck was you know artists who were abroad wanted to be home with their families, which is only natural and that that will provide um, a, 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 another challenge to the uh, the bringing together production. and I've also heard it said that people will be maybe not less ambitious but they will certainly have, creative solutions to that. So there'll be possibly less multi-location filming. You know, to think of you know trying to film a James Bond film now would be pretty challenging if you're going to 15 different locations internationally, taking a a vast crew and um cast with you.
1: And would suffice it to say that deal making in future is going to just become a lot more complex um in terms of time and sophistication of the deals and the caveats involved. Is that is that correct?
2: Yeah we're spending a lot of time and trying to build you know, build build in you know, to, to future proof for another set of circumstances like this, which which obviously nobody anticipated. You build in for, you know, for hurricanes or for, or even for you know, uh, ash clouds or for terrorism. And each time one of these events happens, you have to be resourceful and, and try and uh, build in contingencies. I think maybe not deal making, but you know, provisions for suspending cast and crew, for hiatuses, for what you might pay in those circumstances. You know, most of, most of the uh, business of production is around contracting people to deliver services or products. So you might have people delivering props or wardrobe or uh, artists delivering, you know, their performances. All of that is is, is going to have to build in some level of what if this were to re- recur. Um, so, so that's the sort of deal making aspect. And obviously, everybody's going to want to protect their interests. So, that, you know, agents will want to protect their artists as best they can in case they're, they're effectively furloughed for time. Um, so I think, you know, deal-making change, but there'll be plenty of opportunities as well. I think, you know, what we're seeing is um, certainly when I speak to people in Unscripted, they're saying that there's lots of opportunities now to do shorter, quicker, cheaper programming, uh, to come up with formats which might um, which might uh, be easily uh, created in, in lockdown circumstances. So I think creatively people will come up with different, uh, different solutions and um, they'll just have to build these things in I think budgeting as I say is going to be pretty important and broadcasters platforms are going to have to be a little bit more uh, generous in allowing you know delete delayed completion or delayed delivery you know if, if you're a broadcaster you have a schedule you need to get programs out uh, in accordance with your schedule. The problem now is you know there's been a, a break in the supply chain. And so there will need to be um, solutions found to that. And um, from all the producers I've spoken to, they're all working on it. You know, lots of people are developing uh, agents. You speak to literary agents, are saying there's lots of demand for literary material to be adapted and for people to write new series. So I, I'm I'm certainly aware that even though it feels like everything is in stasis, there is lots of activity and people are continuing to try and. Uh, develop things. You know, the key thing, I guess, is conserving cash from a deal-making perspective, how you how you pr- preserve your cash.
1: I want to touch on another area of the uh, industry uh, just now, Robin. How do you think the pandemic will impact the, the mergers and acquisitions sector for producers, distributors, which has been a, a thriving uh, area of the business for many years now?
2: Interesting. I think that the uh the a M&A market, yes, who, who knows? Because the Reality is as, as long as there's opportunities out there, people will continue to invest. I'm, I'm sure of that. I mean, yes, there will probably be a, uh, a slight, you know, decrease in the amount of activity, but equally, well, certainly the bigger companies are always looking for talent. And you know, my impression of the last few years is is while there's been fewer bigger deals happening, apart from the sort of Fox Disney's, so I'm talking about sort of independent production companies. For the most part, uh, the appetite of uh, Broadcasters and uh, majors is still talent. You know, they want they want the best talent, the best program makers, the best creative minds, and the best executives. And generally, from the, from the active activities we've seen, uh, they'll continue to invest in that. And uh, prices may diminish. You know, I think the, the bubbles we saw, you know, uh, you know, a decade or so ago, when people were paying a lot of money for for conglomerating uh, indies. That, that may have uh, diminished a bit, but I still think there'll be an appetite for for people who uh, are prepared to uh, to go and work for the, for bigger you know, enterprises. And I think there'll also be a certain amount of merger activity because people will, will, I guess, work differently after this. They might want to conserve uh, their cash and uh, work together collaboratively. Maybe the people share premises and share overhead, and they'll be a little bit more um, efficiency in, in in the marketplace, but you know you'll have seen we've seen there's always people you know every year we see people leaving broadcasters or, or platforms to set up on their own, and then equally there's there's acquisition of those those newborn companies uh, over time. So I think I think the cycle will continue. I'm reasonably optimistic. I think there'll be less cash around, so it'll be very opportunistic. Prices may diminish, but I, I I don't see why there wouldn't still be the same appetite for um, merger and acquisition
1: how will it i mean obviously the production freeze that's happening right now is going to impact the valuation of indies because that's a a year that the uh the ebit dial will will be down and the valuations are usually multiples of, of that. And but also the willingness of buyers to buy. A lot of the buyer, a lot of the MA activities has been in trade. So they're gonna be the buyers are going to be impacted by this as well. And and the ones that are VC driven, are, are they gonna look at all the new levels of risk that are now in the production business and, and sort of think twice?
2: Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it will it will diminish and there'll be less of it. I wouldn't like to announce uh, the death of M&A activity in the marketplace, and um, I think there's there's a lot of there'll be a lot of taking stock and rebuilding before there's a huge amount of activity. But but you know there are plenty of people in the marketplace who need content, and they, as you say, their resources will be lesser, lower lower amounts of money to spend, less cash, and those that are driven by advertising will also. Less disposable income, but I'm sure people will still be looking out for deals and for bargains. What this probably doesn't herald is the uh, announcement of a you know a great uh, opportunity for Indies to sell at at elevated levels with with high multiples. I think you're right in that that will take some time to recover.
1: Is there an argument to say that the, the production freeze might actually stimulate m and activity because of the lower prices for sort of ailing, struggling
2: production companies that might suddenly need a, a white knight yes. to come in and save them? F- yeah, I think, like as I said, I think that would be what I describe as, as sort of opportunistic buying. It's not always the best prices, but it's it's, it's sweeping to uh, pick up assets on a sort of slightly cheaper basis. I think any anyone that's got archived material, formats, literary material. You know remake rights, all of those uh, assets, as well as the talent. Uh, as I say, I think talent is what uh, buyers are after. They want they want great creative uh, minds and good executives, but also the IP resources that, that may lie in a library. We've seen, for example, at Sheridan's, a lot of our activities in the media and entertainment sector. So we've got a music team. They've done a lot lately. They've done a lot of uh, sales and acquisitions of music publishing catalogs. I suspect that something similar might happen in relation to Television libraries and film libraries, especially where there's remake and format rights available, I think that could be an interesting opportunity.
1: What are you, What is your advice to producers that are in the middle of an earnout period? Because obviously, that's going to in 2020 is not going to be a good
2: year for that, is it? Uh, that will be challenging. You're right. I think uh, unless you've got a clause in your in your contract giving you uh, an opportunity to uh, to renegotiate if there's been a material change and uh, material adverse change in circumstances which you probably won't have then i think the best thing to do as with all of this is 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 to keep talking um, you will probably cha- be challenged to hit your targets in this in this environment but if you if you've got a good relationship with your owner company then the opportunity may be to extend um, the period for 3 6 12 months whether to have a, uh, a an extended run to try and reach your earnouts. Uh, again, it'll come down entirely to, to the arrangements between the, the various parties. But if you've got a uh, uh, an owner that wants to keep that, that executive motivated and uh, engaged, then they should really be, <laughs> be talking about extending or giving them a, another way to reach their earnout targets. The problem, of course, is, as you touched on, is, is, is there will be a, a, a lack of cash. So the best thing you've probably got at your disposal is is time. So maybe ask for an extension of time. Ask for the targets to be to be reduced. It's it's worth asking. But I think you're right that it'll be challenging for people to hit those earnouts when there's no activity for three, four, five months of the year.
1: Just lastly, what are the um, the upsides to the current situation
2: for the producers, for distributors, and broadcasters? Would you say? Uh, well, look, let's be optimistic. We should, you know, uh, what was it? Colonel Kilgore said in Apocalypse Now, one day this war is going to end. You know, I think we've got to be positive about this. And um, I think, you know, for production companies, certainly many I've spoken to, it's very challenging. They're having to furlough staff, they have to conserve their cash reserves, and they're having to cut overhead wherever they can. But equally, there's uh, there seems to be a certain amount of flourishing of creative activity for distributors. Uh, the opportunity is. To make the most of whatever uh, library they have, whatever materials they have, to to make hay and to try and sell those catalogues and dig deep into those catalogues to see whether they can make sales to broadcasters. Broadcasters are challenged, clearly challenged by the advertising market, but at the same time they are uh, they are in the business of providing content, and there's more need for more content than ever before you know as the netflix subscription numbers have gone up you know everybody's tuning into the to the broadcasters for news and programming i think this is a you know it's a resourceful innovative business people are creative people are pragmatic and i'm sure that you know there will be lots of opportunities remember you know second world war was calamitous but you know out of that came the welfare state and the national health service and things like that even the renaissance came from the black death so you know I think there will be uh, there will be opportunities if people can just hold their nerve.
0: Robin Hilton from media law firm Sheridans, talking to Ed Waller. Stellar subscriber numbers released by Netflix last week gave a clear illustration of how the market-leading streamer is benefiting from consumers being stuck at home. But others are not so fortunate, and even those that are doing well need to be mindful of keeping customers after lockdown finally lifts. C21's Inigo Alexander spoke with Adam Cunningham, chief global strategist at Allied Global Marketing, to hear how the marketing agency is working with its clients to help them through the crisis and the streamers most likely to succeed longer term. You know, firstly, we have teams,
3: you know, all over doing different things. Um, and so you can imagine, you know, certain sectors of our business rise as the clients rise in certain sectors of the business as they decline. Uh, we have to because obviously we operate alongside our clients and in a Good way. When times are good, we feel that, and when times are rough, we feel that as well. So you, you know, all of our direct consumer lines of business, so streaming and home entertainment, you know, this is a um, unexpected but very meaningful time for growth for them, and accordingly, we've been alongside of that, helping them navigate that. And then clients on the theatrical or live entertainment or sports end, we know the story there. So it really is day by day. It's client by client. It's office by office. You know, we're all navigating through the pandemic, and we're spending a lot of time helping them, you know, try to figure out what's next. You know, the big question of what we're trying to figure out with them and alongside of them with the data is, you know, what is the post-pandemic world? So, you know, any assumption that the post-pandemic world is anything like the pre-pandemic world is, is really not where we're at. It's optimistic, but that's not really what we believe is going to be the case.
4: One of the, I guess, positive outcomes, so to say, of the pandemic is that the VOD platforms have seen a huge rise in the number of subscribers. How do you think the big ones the small ones are going to be able to work to ensure they retain all those new subscribers yeah it's a it's a really interesting question
3: there's a lot of complexity behind what's happening we've seen that daily signups for free trials uh, for streaming has gone up 75 percent on average so global consumption for streaming is up about 20%. Like, if you take a place like the U.S., it's up about 26% so far. And you're seeing, you know, these major players come forth, right? So, obviously, Netflix always has a tendency to lead the pack category, defining the rest of it. But Disney Plus has had a really, really, really incredible launch as well, as we all know, across you know, U.S., Europe, and India. And then you've got a lot of these niche players that are in the space, very targeted, focused in terms of the audiences they go to, and they, too, are seeing really interesting increase from our data on average, you know, you take a place like uh, the European market and we're seeing a CPA or a cost per acquisition to get that customer in is, is is collapsing. At the same time, what's happening is we have this collapse in terms of the CPM. So the cost for reaching a thousand in terms of paid media. And so not only are we getting more people into the services, but it's much cheaper to get them into the services, not only in terms of the full cost per acquisition metric, but in terms of the media to buy to get them. That's all well and good. What the flip side of that is, which everybody that works within streaming, whether it's SVOD, AVOD, hybrid, whatever it might be, knows, the biggest question we all have is churn mitigation. And that's how do we get them past the free trial? Because it's all well and good to have these signups, but nobody's getting billed just yet in a streaming service until they hit the 14th or the 15th day or the you know the 31st day. And so the big thing that we're trying to do with our clients is there's one bit that we cannot control, which is hey do your best to have great content, even though, as we all know, the supply chain's a bit broken at the moment, and have great customer service. But at the end of the day, because we do know that the primary metric, no matter what the streaming service is, no matter what territory we are in, it is always cheaper and easier to retain an existing customer versus acquire a new one. So the question then leads into how do we mitigate churn and how do we incentivize these customers to remain? There's a lot of discretionary spending that is going up in in different categories, but there's a high amount of sensitivity and the balance of that is causing streamers to say, hey, it's all well and good to get these free trials. Sure, I doubled my free trials day over day, but how many of them are actually going to stay with me and am I going to hit a cliff?
4: The new platforms that have come in during the pandemic, recently uh, NBCU launched Peacock, for example, and uh, Quibi as well launched before that. Do you think that this secretly is almost a blessing in disguise for them in terms of timing, because there's so many people, you know, locked at home.
3: Far be it from me to be too overly simplistic about this. It's tough, right? Sure. Our members up for streaming. So it's a great time for Peacock and Quibi. Absolutely. Yes. And they're all brilliant teams. And these, the people who work on these are really, really wonderfully smart people and I'm sure they're going to figure it out, but let's take, there's a flip side of everything, right? So Peacock's launch, which is wonderful, but it was supposed to be launching on the back of the Olympics. There's no Olympics. Right. So that's an issue. Quibi launched and it was built around, you know, short form content on mobile devices, which are perfect for when you're commuting on the bus or on the train. Well, we're not commuting anymore. So I guess my short answer is it really depends on what kind of service they are. So things like Netflix, so if you think of streaming, people understand how to go about what it is, what its value is. You know, Quibi's got a different set of questions it has to answer. Well, why is it on, why is it, you know, focused on the mobile device? Why is everything short? It's really interesting. There's great research behind it. There's a really, really smart thinking behind it but that takes a little bit of extra work. So the same uplift naturally that we would see in terms of a lot of the streaming services, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if they extend the same way. Then you've got things like the AVOD market. We're starting to see really interesting expansion of like Pluto TV, right? Across multiple countries, you know, all these different platforms, but we're seeing other AVOD providers starting to collapse into each other. What we're finding is it's really the middle, of the market that's having a very very difficult time. So the top, let's the top players. We all know who they are, right? They succeed for all the reasons we know that they succeed. Then you've got these really really heavily focused platforms that are really focused on very strict audiences. So a really good example of a wonderful product like a Acorn TV, which focuses on bringing you know British and English language content you know all over the world into those markets. Great service, doing really well because it's focused and it makes sense. You've got other platforms like that. It's the thing in the middle, which is having a really hard time, right? Where it's not totally, it's not broad enough and is not capitalized enough to compete with the Netflix in terms of originals. Um, and it's not focused enough to just say, hey, we're doing one thing really well for this one singular audience. Those ones in the middle we find are having a tough time in this in this market. Another client of ours, really small player, newer player, but doing gangbusters and it's incredible, is this um, streaming service called Marquee TV. Marquee TV brings you know, theater, ballet, you know, opera to a home entertainment audience. Well, that was already a bit of a focused audience, but during this time when there's absolutely no live performing arts, you know, that's a really focused service that can deliver here.
4: Looking ahead, do you think that there's reason to be optimistic in terms of um, VOD usage? Do you think that the viewers are still going to be able to, or still going to want to tune in to be it Netflix, Amazon Prime, Peacock, you name it, or do you think once the lockdown lifts... That is going to be a sharp drop in the number of subscribers. That's the big question. So yes,
3: in terms of scale, streaming is the hero right now, right? Uh, obviously, linear we know is up. It's like up thirty-seven percent, but it's difficult to monetize. At the end of the day, you know, every business has an ince- has mutual incentive to persist and to continue and to adapt and to evolve. And of course, I would believe the entertainment industry, which is a industry built of creatives. Uh, we'll do just that. They'll be creative and they'll problem solve. You know, I do believe we can be optimistic. I think we will need to be completely open and agile <laughs> to all the changes. You know, the entertainment industry has always had to ebb and flow through major changes. Based, you know, when the audiences move, we have to move as well. Well, usually that happens territory by territory. Or, you know, now we're having one major moment in the world where it's all changing. So as long as as long as we are not too protective and defensive of let's just say traditional monetary streams and uh you know revenue streams then yeah i think we're going to be okay and as long as we are open to how things are shifting and we adapt and yeah the entertainment industry is full of brilliant creative people i think if anything we will figure out how to adapt a lot quicker than uh,
0: a lot of others adam cunningham from allied global marketing That's all for this episode. If you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.